Thank you. Hello, Living Waters Church family. All right. I got a really good response to that. How you guys doing? How you doing? Are you blessed? Amen. Wow. Well, the title of the message today is God's steadfast love to Israel and to you. What do you expect? I just spent a week and a half in Israel, huh? <laughs> and I am going to, I really don't have a lot planned from the trip to say today I could. I could just go there and tell you how incredible it was, what a learning experience, growing experience, uh, a spiritual experience. And I could do that. I won't do much of that because I want to get a specific message, and it has a lot of content to it. I've got more pages and notes than I've ever had on a Sunday morning. Are you nervous? You're nervous about your lunch getting cold. I know you are. So before I start, uh, let me mention a few things that are pretty exciting that's happening uh, in the body of Christ. One is there today starting a 21-day prayer and fasting for Israel. Uh, a number of intercessory prayer ministries, Mike Bickle, for example, particularly, and others have joined with him and their team, and they believe they're going to have well over a, a million prayer warriors praying for Israel over, over the next 21 days, starting today. Um, you can see the links up here on how to get that information yourself. And I actually have, if you go to MikeBickle.org and, and look for the 21 prayers for Israel, uh, the, he has these scripture uh, prayers, and I, it's, it's several pages long, and I've got a stack of them over here on that CD counter, uh, the old CD counter, tape counter, and it's several pages, and he just has, a, you know, like several scriptures for each day. I, that's what I'm going to use myself. <clears throat> so... There are unique things happening in the, in the world, in the Middle East right now. We all kind of feel it even here in America. Uh, in Israel, uh, if you follow end time prophecy and the end times, are we in the end times? Are we getting close to the end time? Well, what's happening in Israel is how you truly judge that. What's happening in America can be a part of it, but it's not the central piece of it. Because as you know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus and all that happens when he comes back is in the Middle East and in Israel. And he's going to come back to the city of Jerusalem and reign there a thousand years. And so uh, that's where you look to, to try to discern, as God wants us to, we can't predict the day and the hour, and we know that, but discern, are we in the end, you know, how much are we in the end times, etc.? And there are things happening with Russia, for example, and the Ukraine war, but Russia and other alliances in things going on in Syria with Iran, etc., where in Ezekiel 38, they talk about these armies from the north coming down toward Israel. And so these are unique times for us to be alert and aware. And I'm hoping, I believe, this message is going to build your faith that, wow, look at God's faithfulness to the Jewish people over the centuries. And then, Lord, this is a critical time. Help me be a part and, for example, pray these 21 days or other ways to engage with being a part of the end-time work of the Holy Spirit in the earth. One way is to pray on a regular basis. And I want to say thank you to the first Friday of the month prayer group that's been praying for Israel for 25 years. Isn't that amazing? That's right. Now, they're actually transitioning and not continuing that on right now. Uh, this past week was their last kind of official meeting there. And so I'm saying to all of us that, hey, they're still praying in other ways. Let's let all of us Keep praying uh, in, in specific ways. I do want to say that this trip was tremendous. There'll be more like that offered 
perhaps one or two a year through Go International. Go International is based out of Wilmore. Larry Montgomery was a staff person that led our group, and he did a great job in the way they designed the trip. And so I highly recommend Go International. So you're going to have more opportunities uh, to go. Turn with me to Psalm 100. It's only five verses in this psalm. I'm going to read it all, but it's going to be my springboard as we look at these passages uh, in in this. uh, In a sense, I'm going to do like a history lesson, biblical history, more recent history, and let God speak through that. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that your word is more than enough that we need. Teach us by your spirit, through your word, bring it all together that our, our minds and our hearts will be enlightened by you and we can follow you. In your name we pray, amen. Psalm 100, starting at verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his people. We, we are his we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Oh, this is a great psalm already, isn't it? Aren't you enjoying it? Aren't you being encouraged? Remember, this is written by a Jewish psalmist, probably David, about the Jewish people. That's who this applies to first. That it's saying, know the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people in the sheep of his pasture. And that's part of what you're going to follow with me today, that we need to recognize that when these Old Testament scriptures were written, they were for, for the Jew first. But then we get to receive as well, and I'll go into more of that later. Verse 4 says, enter, into, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now, we had the opportunity uh, to be there uh, looking Uh, into the Temple Mount. Right now, there's a golden dome. It's a Muslim mosque, but that is the location where the temple uh, was built and where the, the, and we can still see the, the foundation and the big platform, this large square, uh, uh, huge space where the temple court was. So this is referring to this, enter into the gates to this temple courtyard with thanksgiving and then you go into these courtyards and there's would be singers up on some steps leading the people in song and worship so this is what they're talking about it's it's a very real physical thing next verse says for the lord is good his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations amen don't you need that today isn't that encouraging Now, remember, this is for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever for the Jews and his faithfulness to all the Jewish generations. You see, this was written to them first. We need to recognize that as we move on. Oh, I just love this promise and of his faithfulness to all generations. This word, his steadfast love, is the Hebrew word hesed. And It's actually translated in different ways in uh, different versions. New King James Version is mercy endures forever. ESV is loving kindness is everlasting. NIV love endures forever. I just like that steadfast love. I love that combination uh, in in using it today. But here's what it means. It means uh, it's a, to give you the definition, completely undeserved kindness and generosity. It is God's loyal commitment to us, which is more than commitment, right? It's covenant love to us. Well, you know, Stephen, that kind of sounds like the Greek word for love, agape, doesn't it? And it is. This is, folks, in the Old Testament, the same meaning of agape love, God kind of love, unconditional, uh, just loving kindness that only can come from God. This is the Hebrew word. I took Greek in seminary. We were required to take Greek. Hebrew at that time was elective. Now you can do either one at Asbury Seminary. I was kind of bummed at that because I could barely get through Greek and I couldn't handle another language uh, to graduate. Uh, and, but, 
my professors would bring up this Hebrew word more than any other during my seminary education. In fact, it appears 246 times in the Old Testament. And it's not just a feeling, but it's an action where that love intervenes on the behalf of that loved one and comes to their rescue. Did you know the Old Testament had love like that? See, we often put this Old Testament, God, oh, he's, you know, a God of judgment and he's a God of anger and wrath and, you know, he just punished. He, no, listen, they knew who he was. And they spoke about this love 246 times in their scriptures. This was an incredible, generous, kind of undeserved kindness kind of love. I want us to start when we start looking at history in Genesis 12. Because we got to go to the first Jew, the one where it all started. And that was Abraham. He was named Abram at first, changed Uh, God changed his name to Abraham later, Genesis 12. And in the first verse, God is telling him something. For one, he broke through and he's speaking to him. At the time, there weren't uh, a one God. You just served the God of sun, the God of the nature and trees, and you had all these different gods. God spoke to Abram and he said, I want you to leave your home and go. So he's hearing this voice for the first time identifying him as the only true God, and he starts moving his family to a place he doesn't know where it's going to be. And this is the second verse of Genesis 12. It says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is, a, is an important passage to receive this particular blessing from God. I know for my family, I want us to be blessing the Jews in some form or fashion. You need to know when you give your tithes and offerings, uh, 5% goes into an Israel missions fund automatically every week because why we want to bless the Jews and what God is doing in the earth. And you need to think about that as well and realize that, hey, America, maybe this is why we've been blessed. We've been sometimes the lone ally to Israel. And so God has blessed us as a nation because we bless them. And then curse those who curse them. This is just one of God's way. But look, he's speaking to the future and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Obviously, that's through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, who was sent not just for the Jews, but was sent to us, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So let's go through some biblical history here. Look at the fathers of the faith. We use the term patriarch for this. And I'm just going to run through some names fairly quickly. So you have the God of Abraham. Abraham was born in 2167 B.C., they say. And he had a son named Isaac. I loved the message that Brandon preached a couple of weeks ago. If you missed it, go listen to it. It was the passage where God tells Abraham to go take his, his only uh, son from his wife, Sarah, to, to uh, sacrifice him. And he obeyed into those steps and was willing to say, yes, I feel like that story is the most, the, the, the clearest picture of the New Testament where God the Father sends his son, and he does sacrifice him for us. What an incredible story and message. Thank you, Brandon. And then Isaac had a couple of sons, uh, uh, and, and uh, Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons had to go down to Egypt uh, because of drought and to survive there and They were protected for a while, but then Pharaoh turned on them and made them slaves. So God is a God of faithfulness. And you hear this, God is God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he mentions the generations. He is merciful, and he has steadfast love. And there they are, and now Egypt, they're enslaved, and they need a deliverer. Go on to the next slide there, if you would. And that is Moses. 
God is merciful and he brings Moses who gets a hide and live in the Egyptian palace and then he tries to deliver them by himself and his own strength which is ridiculous and then he has to uh, uh, he's accused in because of a murder and he has to and then he comes back with God's power and there's the 10 plagues on Egypt that releases the people out of bondage it took them 40 years to finally get to the promised land but Joshua led them in the promised land in 1230 B.C. They, during this time, as soon as Joshua, their main leader and his uh, contemporary leaders and things of that generation died off, already the Jewish people were following foreign gods and being unfaithful to their God. Even though God had been faithful to them, showed them loving kindness, they started wavering instantly. And therefore, God would raise up a leader, and they called them judges, and, and, and they would help uh, uh, battle an enemy because God had let the enemy come in and, and overtake them, and, then, and they would repent, and God would give them uh, victory. And then after a time, they would waver just back and forth, back and forth. They were experiencing this mercy that endures forever. One of the per, uh, pastors praying, uh, it was Clay Street Baptist uh, pastor, Larry Sykes, he prayed, Oh, Lord, give us a second. We've already run out of second chances. Lord, give us another chance. We all need more than one or two chances. Thank God for his mercy. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. They call that the Torah. And in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 28... Uh, there is this list of blessings if they obey the Lord and his commands and his teachings. There's a longer list in the same chapter of curses if they disobey God and his ways. This is, uh, let's look at one of these verses right now. Uh, I, actually, I want to skip down to another chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Because even Moses is speaking into the future of what's going to happen to their people. I'm going to read about six verses. We're going to break, break them down every couple of verses. You ready? Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. So he knew that they were going to experience both blessing and cursing. It was going to be a back and forth journey. And he says that God is going to drive you to all the nations where the Lord God drives you. So he already sees what's going to happen. And he is prophesying their return. Verse 3, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So there was a scattering, we'll get to it later in the history, to uh, um, the Assyrian uh, kingdom took the northern tribes, and then the uh, Babylon took the southern kingdom, and they were scattered there. But then there's been a greater scattering later in their history. And this is what it's referring to, all the nations that God has scattered you. Verse 4, if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Amazing. God is seeing what's this scattering that's going to happen. Verse 5, then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and your heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all with that you may live. So he's saying that when you come back to the land and prosper, you will be multiplied more than your fathers. And that's what you see when our team of David, Donna, Lynn, and Vicky, and on the bus, we saw an amazing 
land, a prosperous cities. It was flourishing. And this prophecy in Deuteronomy is being fulfilled today. And then this verse six is that he will not, it's not a physical circumcision that they had to do. This is going to be of the heart. He's going to purify their hearts. So he's talking about there's, you're going to actually get saved through the Messiah. Even though uh, you may wonder sometimes, do these ministries who support Israel, do they believe they must get saved just like you and me to receive eternal salvation for this life and eternal life? And the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. That Jesus Christ died for them and for us, and we must choose, make that choice. I want to get into history again. I want to run through this quickly. Next, after those judges weren't working well, they're crying out for a king. Come on, our other nations have a king. They give them Saul. Saul didn't last very long. He didn't stay focused on God. And so David was the next king. He is, his his uh, uh, throne was the height of the spiritual depth of uh, Israel. His boundaries and how he uh, won in many battles uh, and their boundaries grew. Jesus is even called the son of David to give uh, glory and credit back to this particular king. His son Solomon was the wisest and, and, beautiful, and, and built the temple. The, the temple was laid with gold all in the inside. It was majestic for anybody around the world to see this temple to worship God. Solomon, however, had, I didn't look it up, hundreds of wives, okay? And concubines. He only needed one, and it messed with them. And he ended up following these gods of theirs. God was displeased. His sons were next to be king after him. There was a civil war, and there became a divided kingdom. The north and the south. And the north had ten tribes. The south had two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And particularly in the north, it was mostly all evil kings. The southern kingdom lasted a little bit longer. But let's just look at a couple maps real quick, give you a feel for it. This was the Davidic kingdom when David was ruling. And his uh, kingdom even went beyond the Jordan River. That's that line going down there from uh, the Sea of Galilee down the Dead Sea. And then the divided kingdom you see is the next slide. Ten tribes in the north, two in the south. Jerusalem is right there at the top part of that that uh, dark orange uh, brown section, Jerusalem. And uh, that was the place of worship. And so the southern kingdom kept worshiping God uh, back and forth because of the often evil kings that they had. They didn't heed David's psalm in 136 verse 1. It says, give thanks to the Lord. It's the same one that was written in Psalm 100. For he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. But in this psalm, there's 26 verses. In every verse, this is repeated. For he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. And David writes in this psalm all about their history. Look what God has done for us when we were enslaved and God delivers. Look what God has done for us. And he has established, uh, given us a promise. Look what God has done and how he's provided uh, food and provision. 26 times he's giving thanks for his steadfast love endures forever. It was just about 300 years in the promised land and this divided kingdom happened and they were really declining spiritually. And so what happened in Deuteronomy 28 started unfolding like never before, where the curses of their disobedience was unfolding. Other prophets like Jeremiah was speaking to them, warning them, but they didn't heed. And so they did experience great judgment and curses. One was in the exiles, the northern kingdom of those 10 tribes were conquered in 722 and exiled uh, to the north. And the southern kingdom in Babylon was came and conquered uh, all that land, including the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was. That was about 137 years later when they were overtaken. That was Nebuchadnezzar and and took many uh, of the Jews, left a few, took many. 
but God prophesied through Jeremiah that they would come back in 70 years, and some did. Some stayed in exile because they were loving it, and, and, and it gotten reestablished. But some came, and their heart was yearning to have the temple to worship again. So King Cyrus from uh, Persia allowed uh, leaders like Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah to come back and rebuild the temple and the walls. There are these minor prophets in your Bible, 12 of them, these little books. They were kept warning Israel. And the last one, Malachi, was written in 400 B.C. And then came the silence. The silence from heaven. Is God steadfast in his loving kindness? They didn't hear from him from a prophet or written word for 400 years. The silence was broken when the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. And him and his wife were old and had a miracle child, John the Baptist. And then that same angel soon after appeared to Mary. And Mary had the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Yes, God is faithful. His loving kindness is everlasting. The Bible is a prophetic book. Some have said that 27%, that's over a quarter, of the Bible is prophetic, speaking about future things. Let's just go over a quick list of those things just to remind us. One is the birth of Israel from Abraham. That was prophesied. The boundaries of what the land would be in Israel happened. That was prophesied. The Davidic kingdom and, and how uh, the son of David would be in that lineage, lineage was prophesied. The exile to Babylon, they were warned about and prophesied that this is going to happen, and it did. They returned in 70 years in different shifts. Not all of them, but some did from Babylon. That was prophesied. There are 324 messianic prophecies about Jesus and who, what he would be like and what he would do. The destruction of Jerusalem after Jesus was resurrected in 7 AD was prophesied, and it happened. I call these geopolitical because that is just a term I like to use that says geography. It's about land. It's about Political is about governments. God was into what was happening with Israel and their neighboring nations, and he was guiding and directing and determining much what was happening. We're going to look at those some more later. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm reading in Romans. This is the New Testament now. I'm, I'm jumping into the New Testament here. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Paul is saying that, hey, the seed is not just for those of the law, the Jewish people, but also for those who are faith, that now Abraham is our father as well. This is so critical. This is so important that we see that we as Christian believers are receiving the blessings of that promises God gave Abraham. It's not separate from what God did to Christianity in a separate way. No, these blessings. Remember, Genesis chapter 12, you'll be blessing to all nations. This we're the all nations, the other families that will be blessed through Abraham. He is our spiritual father, and we receive those benefits. Paul, in the middle of this incredible, deep, spiritual letter of Romans, takes three chapters, chapter 9, 10, 11, 11 very specific about Israel. If you're not familiar with those three chapters, then you don't have a familiarity of what God's intentions are for the Jewish people. You've missed out if you haven't studied these three chapters. Chapters. I'm going to read a few verses right now. Romans 11, verse 11 and 12 says, So I ask, did they, the Jewish people, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. You see that? 
Yes, they did stumble, but did they permanently fall? He said, no, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation came to us. The Gentile is a non-Jew, came to us. Wow. And then our witness will be stir them to jealousy and say, how come they get to enjoy God so much? Do they really love my Jewish Messiah? Yes, I do. He's awesome. He's my Savior. Verse 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more would their full inclusion mean? This is where we're living, folks. That their trespass, their blindness that Paul talks later in Romans is actually an open door for us, the Gentiles, to receive. And then when God starts bringing them into salvation, how much more the world will flourish with salvation in harvest. I believe this is the key, as Don Fento and his ministry, Caleb Company, believes, to world revival. That when you see God moving on Jews and they're getting saved, and I'll tell you about that, then you can expect the end time harvest that Jesus speaks of is on the way. Wow. God includes us in the promises of Abraham. So going back to Psalm 105, for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever for us, the Gentiles, and his faithfulness to all generations, not just to the Jews, but to us who believe in the Messiah. They call him Yeshua, Jesus, our Lord. I want to take a few more verses in Romans 11. I I think this is so clear and so, so specific. I want you to see this. Romans 11, verse 17 says, and says, if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. See, he's saying, listen, he's talking to the Romans, Gentiles. These are Gentile Christians. He's saying, listen, the branches were broken off. So you being a wild olive tree, you get to be grafted in. That's a phrase for us. You and me, we're Gentiles. We're grafted in. Praise God, we had that opportunity. was given to us. Verse 18, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. The roots came first for every plant, doesn't it? And Paul is saying the roots came first. The Jewish faith came first. And from those roots came Christianity. Our Christianity is not some separate religion. We're the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Our salvation through Christ is the fulfillment they're looking for. And we have it. We have a Jewish Messiah. We have a salvation that was for Jews and for the Gentiles. I want to stop there and I want to go into some history of what's happened to the Jews since AD 70. Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he appeared to his uh, disciples and others. He ascended. In AD 70, Rome, uh, because of a Jewish revolt, destroyed the city of Jerusalem and totally destroyed the temple. And for a thousand years, there was this growing animosity and friction between Jews and Christians. One, as you see it in the movies, those early Christians were being uh, uh, being stoned, not just by Jews, but by Romans, and they were taken into the arenas. But the Jewish religion had already been established in the Roman Empire, so they weren't being thrown to the tigers in the arenas. It was, it was the Christians being martyred. And so the Christians were frustrated with them and then, and, and upset with them. And then Constantine became, uh, was the Roman ruler. He became a Christian. He said, all of the Roman Empire must be Christian. So great. The Christian persecution stopped, but it began for the Jews from that Roman emperor wanting a force conversion on Jews and started persecuting them. So for a thousand years, it was just back and forth like this animosity, back and forth, hostility. And then a thousand years of that, the crusades began. The Christian crusades out of Europe, it was really the, the 
Catholic Church saying we've got to go protect Jerusalem from the Muslims. We've got to have these crusades, these, these armies passing through Europe to get to Israel. And they ended up battling not just Muslims, but Jews on the way. And when, we got, when they got there, there were eight to nine crusades with crosses on their chest in the name of Christ, killing innocent Jews and Muslims in great battles for uh, several hundred years. We might wonder, you know, why do Jews, you know, they don't want to be a Christian? Well, because this is their history. Later on in uh, 1215 um, A.D., the Fourth Lateran Council, what is that? That is when uh, they believed and they changed the, um, the doctrine of the host, the communion elements, and they believed the Jews wanted to desecrate the host. They wanted to, they, they, they believed in these lies about Jews that they had to drink blood, human blood. So they would kidnap children, they said. And so they had, you had to stay away from Jews because they might kidnap your child. So they started have to wear marks like the gold star on them to identify them. The Inquisition was uh, a couple of hundred years later where they were just going to, uh, the, the, this was the Christian world. It was all Catholic. It was the Roman Catholics and the Greek Orthodox. This is in Europe, uh, Eastern Europe. The, 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 um, uh, the Roman Catholic Church wanted to persecute those who were backslidden. And so they wanted to uh, convert people and force it, and that included the Jews. And if they were either punished or they were executed. The pogroms of Russia, there were more lies spreading that Jews wanted to take over the world. And so they would go into Jewish villages and just wipe them out. And they were just sitting there, what's going on? And boom, they were just wiped out by Russian uh, 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 soldiers. Thousands were killed in Russia in 1818. 81 through 1902. And then came 1933 through 1945, the Holocaust, where six million Jews were killed. 1.5 million of that six million were children. And unfortunately, the German church, only a few stood up to Hitler. In fact, Hitler and others used Martin Luther's writings to support anti-Semitism. Martin Luther was our hero in Protestant Reformation. He broke us out of the Roman Catholic rules and regulations and, 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 and made Protestantism a, uh, the father of our faith. Praise God, now we're justified by our faith. And at first in his writings, he honored the Jews. But he wrote a couple of pamphlets that near the end of his life and people wondered, did, did something happen to him mentally or did he just get frustrated because Jews didn't convert over to Christianity like he expected them to? And he started writing hatred. He started writing racist prejudice, uh, condemning them. And it was awful to think that this godly man could would write something like this. What is you're a hero in the faith and you're where's this coming from? And so, unfortunately, out of the Reformation and theologians, there was this atmosphere of anti-Semitism between Christians and even Protestants against the Jews, and that's when replacement theology became more uh, part of the educational uh, writings and, and training and became part of the seminaries uh, beyond that. Replacement theology, covenant theology, or supersessionism is defined like this, the view that the church is the new or the true Israel that has permanently replaced or superseded Israel as the people of God. Well, that doesn't sound too big of a deal. What they're saying is that the promises of God to Israel stopped as soon as the day of Pentecost happened and the, Jew, and there was a, the, born, the church was born in the New Testament. And all these promises to the Jews are done. They don't apply them anymore. And so when you read scriptures in the Old Testament about these promises of bringing them back to the land, there's 64 scriptures called Aliyah scriptures. I've got a list of them here on the back table back there. 
and you just read them as metaphor and allegory. You just spiritualize them. It's not really physical about the land or bringing them back to the land. You have to read things figuratively, allegorically. I say that we have found that God has been true to His Word, and you can keep reading the Word literally, just face value, just what it says. So we wonder, as we talk to people in the land, uh, our, our tour guide was a Messianic Jew. Why do Jews have a hard time trusting in Jesus? Why do Jewish Christians in Israel want to be called Messianic believers? Don't call us Christians. They really have been judged so harshly in a sense that our uh, tour guide is, had a great name. His name was Stephen. Said that when you talk to many Jewish people that they are not believers. They might show up at synagogue a couple times a year to make grandma happy, but they're just secular people making money and Spend a lot of time on their iPhone and just trying to live a normal life. And he, and he says, but sometimes they said there's the problem of suffering is their first question. Look what happened to us in the Holocaust and in the Crusades, and they can just list them. How can God be real? One of the... Uh, Israel history teachers, rabbis I was listening said many times when we get together as families, we're having a big dinner or celebration of some kind, we might say, hey, they tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. And that's their way of summarizing their history. And it sounded more sarcastic and, and depressing than it did hopeful. Oh, but Psalm 100, verse 5 is still true. The Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. And we're going to see here as I go on, I press on some more. I'm, I'm not going to give up yet. Thank you for hanging in with me. That when we were there in the land talking to these seasoned leaders who've been there 40 years, that the Bible really is a prophetic book. It is still alive. It is still speaking about the, the nations of the earth and of the Middle East. Wayne and Ann Hillsden, their uh, lead, the ministry called Firm. They, they still oversee the church, have another pastor there in, in Jerusalem leading that. They've been there 40 years. Peter and Rita Sukihira, we uh, met with them for a little bit in Haifa. They've been there just about 40 years. Uh, and, and you would hear them talk along with Avi Mizraki in Tel Aviv, it was the same type of story. 30 plus years ago, we would go to a Messianic Jew wedding and we, basically all the believers would be there. It's just several hundred of us in the whole land. And we would get to, now they're estimating over 24,000 Messianic believers in the land. That's growth in just 30 years. We got to pray on the 21st floor of that King of Kings prayer tower where Karen and Jerry Ellard, they served and led worship in that same room. And Lynn Price had scriptures for us to speak and pray over the city on those balconies on the 21st floor. I want to read you Ezekiel 37. This is the famous chapter about when Ezekiel sees in this valley dead, dry bones. And he starts speaking to them about a physical healing, that they would have muscles and sinews, and they would be brought together. Then they would have breath, and they would have life, a spiritual healing. Listen to this passage. Then he said to me, this is Ezekiel 37, verse 11, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I'll bring you into the land of Israel. 
So this great passage of dry bones, which is so encouraging for all of us that there's always hope. God can turn our life around something that's lost and needs total restoration, redemption, have faith. But it was written for the Jew first. And it says that I will restore you and I'll bring you into the land of Israel. Verse 13, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from graves, O my people. And I'll put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. This nation is flourishing. It's the size of New Jersey. And if you look at this map, it's actually less than the size of New Jersey. When you take out that middle piece, you see Israel in, that, in the middle and then that, that uh, kind of cashew-looking piece right there in the middle, that's the West Bank. And so it's smaller than New Jersey. And Wayne Hilson said this nation, in just 75 years they celebrated, has risen to the fifth most influential and powerful nation in the world. Folks, that's not by accident. That is God fulfilling these words. These messianic believers, even though there's 25,000, that is a huge number, but it's still considered an unreached people group. It's the nation of Israel. Ministries theirs are crucial. Yes, it is the monolithic capital of the world with the three great religions that believe in one God, Islam and uh, Judaism and Christianity have their holy city, Jerusalem there. But the Christians are either mostly Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholicism. You're just born into it. You may not even go to church. You may not believe in God. Yeah, I'm, Catholic, I'm Greek Orthodox. I'm this. I'm even Muslim, and they don't worship. They're just secular people. So the evangelical believers who believe the Bible is the word of God, and you must be saved through Christ, that's 25,000 people only. And so they need our support and our help. I won't go into the details because I want to I want to finish up here in a sec. <clears throat> Britain as part of their kingdom had rights over Israel and Palestine and that whole region. In 1947 they didn't want to rule it anymore. They said, "Hey, split it between Israel and the Palestinians and 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 they can have land there. So on May 4th, 1948, David Ben-Gurion, the head of the Jewish agency, proclaimed the establishment of the state of Israel. And instantly, the surrounding Arab countries, Iraq, Syria, Egypt, Jordan, and Lebanon, as well as Saudi Arabia, Sudan, and Yemen, declared war on Israel. The 1948 War of Independence was a miracle war. By all paper calculations, there's no way they could win. They were totally outmanned. This was just immediately after, basically after World War II. Uh, we met a man who said, my grandfather was uh, in, in the concentration camps, came to Israel, Tel Aviv, and was handed a gun. Said, you're in the army. We're fighting for our independence. He was fighting and. And, and uh, you know, a friend of his said, man, this is hell, this war that we're going through. And he said, no, it's not. This is a piece of cake compared to the concentration camp I was in. When you just study the 1948 War of Independence and 1967 war, when they were attacked from all sides again, the Arab nations wanted to totally annihilate them. It didn't work on paper. They were going to lose immediately. Instead, they gained boundaries and land in the 1967 war. And if you study it, it doesn't make sense. It was supernatural. There are things they said, we can't explain what happened here. We can't explain this happened. And we won. The, we, it was super. God was fighting for them to fulfill his word and his promises that he gave 2,000 years before. They were without a homeland for 2,000 years. There's never been a nation that had 2,000 years scattered throughout the world, Central South America, all through Europe, in America, uh, and into Poland was the biggest concentration area in Europe, and that's where most of them were taken 
and, and were killed during the Holocaust. But no other people group has ever come back to a land after that kind of time frame. And no other nation's been born in a day. And that was even prophesied in Isaiah 66, 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Go to this picture of um, our team there in Jerusalem. We are standing on the um, at the um, Olive uh, Mount of Olives, and we're looking behind us is the old city of where it's it's you see that kind of long wall. That's the eastern long wall of the Temple Mount, and it says in Old Testament prophecy that when Jesus returns, he's going to be on that Mount of Olives. And there's going to be some kind of splitting of the ground open on this mountain. And he's going to come into the city from the east. Now, I want to tell you about two gates that are on the east there. You, you can hardly see the little gold dome in there, but that's the Temple Mount. That's where the That's where the new temple will be rebuilt. That's where the old temple was, right in the same spot. And there's a gate right in front of it. Well, those that gate has been all blocked up and sealed up. Plus, Muslims over the centuries put a cemetery right in front of it because they knew a Jew wouldn't dare walk through a cemetery and get, uh, uh, you know, unclean. So that's going to stop Jesus coming through the gate. When he comes back, well, our tour guide, he was so good in throwing other new angles and other depths and other, you know, so he was really good at that. And on down the way, there's another gate. It's called the, was called the Sheep Gate. Jesus knew that gate as well, and sheep would go through that to be prepared for sacrifice, be chosen and selected like Jesus was, a perfect lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for being that perfect lamb. You were selected and you died on that cross for us. Well, that gate's on the eastern wall as well. It's been changed. The name's changed. It's called the Lion Gate now. And it has these lion engravings on the stone. And our tour guide says, I believe that's prophetic, that he's coming as a lion of Judah. He's coming through this gate. So we can argue about that if you want. But he's coming from the east, it says. He's going to reign in that city. God is faithful. He's good. His loving kindness endures forever. And 2,000 years of being scattered throughout the world, he has brought his people back just like he said. His word is true. You can read it at face value. His promises are true. And and may the Jewish people who are still blind see this incredible miracle and that much more be saved. Our supportive ministries there are so important. And as they are blessed with salvation, that's just going to increase the harvest throughout the world. I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to close by reading and speaking the ironic blessing over you. With the shalom blessing included on it. It's actually the first prayer on the Isaiah 62 prayer list for day one. And today is day one. And so we're just flowing right in with that. And this blessing I speak for the Jews and because we're grafted into this Jewish Messiah our Savior we get to receive the blessing of it as well the Lord bless you and keep you 
the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. That's his deep peace. Everything as it really ought to be. Nothing missing, nothing broken. May you put your full weight down and rest in the hammock of a smile of approval of you. For in Christ Jesus, you are proved. May you walk under the warmth of his presence and hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. Let's just wait on the Lord a little bit longer. Let's just sing this song a little bit. Let's just wait on the Lord. Let's not, uh, and just keep our ears open to him.
Open the grave. 